Funny, I told Ron Guffey, who uh, is going in for a hip replacement, I said, dude, you pay the 20 bucks, I'll push you on a wheelchair, you know? <laughs> it doesn't make a difference. You can, you can still participate. Um, two more, just quick announcements. Um, uh, one is the blood drive. That's another way. And this is all happening next week. 19th, we're doing the run. Uh, my whole family, all the kids, we're going to go, and I hope you'll go too. Um, and then uh, the blood drive is on the 20th, and I know there are still spots. It's just a way that you can you know, help in the community by actually giving blood. Uh, so that also is underneath the little tent out there that you can sign up for the run or um, blood drive because that's next Sunday. This is the last Sunday really to sign up. And then last but not least, just I want to encourage um, those of you who listened to what Tom said about the men's retreat. Um, they let me off my leash like every other year to go to this thing for the full weekend. And this is my uh, the weekend to be off the leash. And um, so Dan Overby is going to hold the fort here. And, and I'm really hoping to meet some of you guys there. I know we had a great time last time playing beach volleyball. Some of us had clam chowder and chipino out on the dock in, in Santa Cruz. And it's a good time of fellowship. And so if you're even thinking about it, um, or, or maybe on the fence, I just want to encourage you to, to come. Um, it, it will be a good time. And if finances are a problem, at least talk to us. I don't, we can't guarantee anything, but I know we'd like to see anybody who wants to go who even can't afford to go, go. So talk to myself or Dan Overby, and, and we'll see if we can't um, hook things up. And I think that's, that's it. For those who might be new with us, um, who want to know kind of where we are in our Sunday morning uh, messages, we have been going through the book of uh, Galatians, and this morning we are chapter 2, verse 1 through 14, and um, the aim behind this and our heart behind this is that God would renew us um, in his grace, coming back to the center, that is the gospel itself, with the belief that if we get the gospel not just here but here, it revolutionizes life. And that's the heart behind it. I know that is what I desire for my own life, and that's what we desire for our church family as well, to be renewed by the gospel. And one of the best places in the New Testament to go to do that is in the book of Galatians. Having said that, will you um, pray in spirit with me? Lord, we ask that as we come to your holy word, that you would uh, soften our hearts to hear what the Spirit um, is to say to us, you know us better than we know ourselves, and you also know when we're, um, when we're divided between head and heart, when our head knows the truth, but our heart doesn't believe the truth. And what we desire, Lord, is for your spirit to reconnect the head to the heart so that we believe with our heart what we know with our head. And, um, and if we don't know with our head what the gospel is, that you would um, renew us in a fresh understanding of it as to what you have done so graciously and lovingly to complete everything needed for our full and complete acceptance by you, not only now and here, but forever, uh, on into the new creation. And so just fill this time, Lord, with your power and your wisdom and um, speak to your family that you chose before the foundation of the earth and you have revealed yourself to and are gathered here in the name of Jesus to both worship and also to hear you. We pray this in, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I know this couple that um, many, many years ago um, were told by the doctors that they were unable to have children. And, uh, and so they did what a lot of people do today. Um, there are a lot of couples, even in our own church family, who have heard the doctors say that they can't have children. And and uh, this couple that I'm referring to, um, years and years and years ago, uh, decided that they would adopt. And so 
what they did was they, they adopted a brown-eyed, brown-haired little boy from Evanston, Illinois, and, and a couple years later they, they adopted um, a green-eyed, brown-haired little girl from Spokane, and they started their, their little family. And that is a God-given desire to have a family. Is, uh, God created us with that desire, and they raised those two children. And then, um, contrary to the diagnosis of the doctor, five years later, they got pregnant, conceived, and had a little blue-eyed, blonde-haired baby girl. And the good thing about this particular couple, um, the husband and wife who adopted and then had a, child, a natural child, was that the followers of Jesus, and they made absolutely no value distinction between the adopted two and the natural one. They were all family. They shared the family name, and there was no value distinction between the natural child and the two um, adopted children. That wasn't the case, however, when they'd go to the annual family reunion, where they met cousins, first, second, and third cousins, and they would hear things like, well, those are the adopted kids. Um, Giving that implicit sense that they are not quite part of the family, maybe substandard, secondhand family members. And um, that does something to us as human beings deep, deep down who want so deeply to belong and to be accepted. Um, so the family life was one way, but the uh, family reunion was a different way. So you can imagine the two adopted ones didn't really like going to the family reunions very often because they were made to feel like second-rate family. Now, I was talking to Justin News about this on Friday a little bit. Most of you know that uh, if you don't know Justin, he's our, our high school director, um, that they are adopting two orphans from places that are not even on this continent. And, um, and they're not going to share the same ethnicity. Um, and those two boys, when they get here, and Lord willing, they will get here, they're going to be asking a question, whether they ever articulate it this way, their heart's going to want to know something. Their heart's going to want to know, am I a full-fledged noons or not? Now, knowing the Nunes and the Marlettes, who are going to be the grandparents, I am fully and completely confident that those, those little boys will be full and complete, treated as full and complete Nunes. Who knows, they might wear little bright red jeans and real bright green <laughs> jeans. I don't know. Full Nunes, you know? Because that's what, that's what they need to feel. That's what they need to know, that I belong, and I'm accepted completely, 100%, and I'm not second-rate. Um, because that's something that is deeply human. And all of us, whether or not we think about it that way, have that deep down need. And any sense in which there is a value distinction placed upon them because they are adopted would be um, devastating. Well, that, um, church, is, is the struggle that the first century church felt and had. And I want you to take um, what I just said in terms of what I call modern adoption um, versus natural child um, issues, and I want you to think about what it would be like to be in the early church, because not only were they wrestling with the questions of how am I accepted vertically by the Lord, by our Father, a, a, a question which the gospel answers through Christ and Christ alone, but then there's this, also this horizontal dimension of the gospel, and that is, um, how do we know we're full-fledged family members, part of the same uh, um, bride, part of the same people, part of the same redeemed? How do, how do we know we're part of the family? Not just part of it, but full-fledged family members. 
And those are some of the, 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 um, the struggles that the early Christians went through. I mean, if you can imagine on the one side, imagine yourself as a first century Jew. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're a descendant of the, of the great Abraham, who was not only a friend of God, but someone who received this, received this massive promise, this covenant of belonging and blessing. And you're related to him. Um, ethnically, you're, you're a Jewish person. You have a common ancestry and a heritage where God took you as a people, as an ethnic people, out of the clutches of, of, of Egypt. That you as a people were chosen by God, blessed by God, considered his treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, someone that God would protect, someone that God gave his covenants to. There was a, a huge sense of we belong to the Jewish people. And one of the things that set them apart from the other families of the earth was that they, they were to keep the covenant stipulations or these things that identified them as, as, as Jewish people. That is, the Torah, or we call it in the New Testament, the Law of Moses. Things like circumcision and things like diet, um, what you eat, what you don't eat. And to this day, uh, Jewish people still identify themselves, most of them, by what they choose to eat and not to eat, which is why they choose kosher food, even if they don't even believe in, in God. And all the males are circumcised because that is part of the identifying mark of being part of the Jewish family. But then something happened when Jesus was born. And by the way, I should back up and say that while the Jewish people placed up special emphasis on, you know, diet and... and uh, and being circumcised is to be part of the family. Um, they, ironically enough, could not keep the moral law perfectly, which, which is why over and over again in the Old Testament history, they, 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 they experience this endless cycle of, of judgment and discipline because they keep violating this marriage covenant that they have with God, despite the fact that they put special emphasis on certain things. Well, you have that mindset. That's what it meant to be a Jew. That's how um, you define the family called the Jewish or Ju- uh, Judaism, Jewish family. And when Jesus was born, something happened. For the first time ever in history, and the only time in history, a man was born who performed perfectly. Every stipulation of the Torah Everything. He didn't violate anything in heart, in mind, in attitude, or behavior. He lived it out perfectly, which meant he warranted the full blessing of God. He warranted the full description or label of being a son of God because he is perfect. Then in in an ironic twist of both sinful humanity and God's sovereign goodness, that perfect man who performed everything was charged and convicted and punished for sins that he did not commit and crucified publicly. And in those two things, something happened. On the one hand, what happened was, to all who had come to believe, Jesus would offer the gift of his own perfect performance. And at the same time, take all of the things on the rap sheet that all of us have in our past, things that we've done, attitudes, heart, actions, and he took them on himself. It's just like 
double transference of giving us his perfection and taking our sin. Or giving us his complete goodness and taking our badness. And that truth means that in Christ, for all who would come to believe it, we are complete. We have his goodness as he's taken our badness. In other words, the full extent of the Torah has been offered to us by way of Jesus so that we stand complete in him. And that's the good news. It's good news. The only thing we can bring to the table is the fact that he did it. He took away the bad and gave us all the good. And that's the truth in which we stand. And we no longer have to keep Torah as a means of being accepted by our Father because he did it for us. That was Paul's gospel. That's what he preached. And it was good news to the Gentiles because they didn't want to cross those barriers and have to do those things to be fully accepted. But you can imagine a certain amount of Jewish people who think like Jewish people trying to change from the old way to the new way that for centuries they believed that they were accepted on the basis of Torah performance or law performance. They've been circumcising their sons for, for generations and they've been keeping the kosher diet for generations. Now they're told, you don't have to do that to be part of the family anymore. That would have just rocked their world. So naturally there were some within early Jewish Christianity who believed that, well, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. They saw it. They, 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 they saw him die, and they, they perhaps heard the witness that he rose from the dead, and they believed, but they, they couldn't get over the mingling of Torah and Jesus and the mingling of grace and works. And Paul keeps confronting this issue because you think about it for a moment. You happen to be a Gentile believer who has not gone through the full Torah, circumcision, and all of that stuff, um, and there are people saying you need to. Well, you can see how immediately they would be made to feel, Gentiles would be made to feel like second-rate adopted kids in the pejorative sense. Not quite full-fledged family members. And that is part of the issue that Paul is trying to drive home and to destroy is this separation and segregation horizontally as well as the misunderstanding vertically. So in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2, kind of for the first time we see, at least in Paul's writings, we see a full, what we might think of as apostolic, that is that all of the people who Christ has given authority to um, basically confirm that there is just one true gospel and therefore one true people of God. In verses 1 through 10, we have Paul, for the first time, bringing his whole gospel, the good news, and laying it out before the other apostles up in Jerusalem. Up to this point, he's visited, but the sense is he hasn't just let, laid out what he's been preaching to the, to the apostles that are in the heart of Judaism, back in Jerusalem. And so we, he, he tells us about this experience and what he did, and it is, a, it, it is an attempt for us to know that at the end of the day, all of the apostles said, yes, there's one gospel, Paul's gospel's right, and we all agree on it. That's the point. If chapter 1 taught us that, uh, or Paul insisted that the, the gospel was given to me directly by Jesus and independently of the apostles, then chapter 2 says, but there is full apostolic buy-in for my message. 
So this is what happened. It says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Um, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles. And it's interesting to me that, that it was a revelation that sent Paul up. And I think this is God's way of saying, I am not going to allow two different very varied forms of Christianity to continue. So I'm going to bring you together, Paul and the rest of the apostles. Picking up with, uh, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, one more comment, and that is I don't think Paul doubted for a second that his gospel was the right gospel. I think he, he, he understood that without complete unity from all the apostles that, that this thing called Christianity could break apart. I mean, if Paul preached and planted a church and the rest of the Jerusalem apostles said that's not right, well, you can see it would just, it would cave in, it would implode. So he, he didn't want that to happen, so he goes up. Verse 3, but when Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a, though he was a Greek. Verse 4, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they may, might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, he's talking about the apostles, and, and he's not trying to be negative here when he says those who seemed to be influential. They were influential. What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me or to my gospel is what he means. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, that's another name for Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. You're still amazed at the complete turnaround of, of Paul, the guy who's passionate about Judaism, passionate about maintaining Torah, um, against the threat of Christianity, now turning completely 100% and now being passionately committed to Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. I mean, his boldness is seen in what he writes here in the simple fact that when he goes into Jerusalem, he brings a protege by the name of Titus. Titus isn't a Jew. He's a Greek and therefore uncircumcised. In other words, he's, he's taking him into a place and Luther believed it was a test to see if the apostles would welcome this uncircumcised Gentile as a full brother or not. Well, he walks in arm in arm with the Gentile right into this, to the heart of Judaism. That's bold. And he brings them to these men. He lays out his gospel, and it says here that he was not forced or pressured into being circumcised. In other words, the implication is that they, they welcomed him as a brother, this uncircumcised man by the name of, of Titus. However, apparently there were some spies who somehow in the process would be enormously, enormously awkward to find out how a Gentile wasn't, circum, or was circum, wasn't circumcised. But they found out. And, and Paul, at this point, it says that we did not yield. And, and he says we did not yield. It, the only one who wasn't circumcised in that we was the man named Titus. And yet he shows solidarity in saying, no, we Together, this Jewish man and this Gentile man, we did not yield to them. 
um, so that they bring us back into a yoke of, of slavery, of trying to once again perform Torah so as to be either included as full-fledged members of the family or accepted by the Lord himself. And you find that, that the apostles, all of them, basically, according to the kind of the heart of this, especially verses 7 through 9, they acknowledge that God has given grace to Paul to preach the uncircumcised and grace to uh, Peter and those guys to, to preach the same gospel to the Jewish people. But the point is, is that they agreed, the apostles, there is one gospel, not two. That is to say, we are saved, brought into the family by God's gracious working in the life of Jesus alone, and all we must do is trust it to be true. That is the one gospel that goes in these two directions. I think that's, that's actually pretty weighty and heavy. That means that kind of for the first time, at least in the writings of Paul, you have Peter and James and John and James, the brother of Jesus, and Bartholomew and Matthias and and Matthew and Philip and Andrew and and Judas, who's not Judas Iscariot, and whatever apostles that I forgot, along with Paul, are like, this is the gospel, case closed. And, I mean, for me, that's just... That's huge, even now. Because it's easy to think, and you're reading the New Testament, well, James had a little bit different truth than Paul had, and Jesus had a bit different truth than than Paul had. These are just kind of different strains or truths. And it's like, no. There is one gospel. And every one of these apostles, whoever were there, is like, this is it. This is what we believe. And the only thing necessary to be part of the family, only thing, is not Torah performance, but you trust in Christ who has done everything to make you complete for that family. I mean, th- think about how freeing that is to just really believe that. I'm part of the family, though I'm not Jewish. Full and complete. There's no devaluation because I am of German and Scottish descent. I mean, th- think just for a moment what we have in Jesus. I mean, We are forgiven of all past, present, and future sins. Why? Not because of anything I've done, but because of Christ. That God looks at you as his people with full righteousness. Not because you're necessarily a great person, but because of Jesus and Jesus alone and his righteousness which he's given to us. That we have been given his spirit, a deposit of better things to come. Not because of anything we've done, but because of Christ. That we have already obtained, that's past tense in Ephesians 1, already obtained an inheritance. We are heirs of the new creation. Why? Because of Jesus. We have the promise of resurrection guaranteed for those who believe. Why? Because of Jesus. We are full-fledged, 100% sons and daughters, whether natural or adopted. Why? Because of Jesus. We are guarded, preserved, and protected as his people. Why? Because of Jesus. And that's just like a sliver. In other words, we have all of that because of him. Which means if we have him, we have everything. That's what the one gospel does. And here, in no uncertain terms, Paul's saying, 
This was the unified confirmation of the apostles. One gospel, one good news, one message of redemption. But it's really easy to contradict that message of the gospel with how we practice the gospel, especially on a relational and social level. The same apostles who said, this is the message, in the very next verse, verse 11, compromise it in practice, relationally. Verse 11, when Cephas, Peter the Great, came to Antioch, that's a place north of Jerusalem, which was a primarily Gentile church. There were Jewish people there too, but there were a lot of Gentiles. He says, I opposed him to his face. This is apostle against apostle. Because he stood condemned, and here's why he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, little side note, historical side note, there's a portion of the church that didn't like the idea that Paul confronted Peter, and they changed the text because it would make the first pope look bad. Interesting. Here you have Cephas came to Antioch. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. That's the Jewish conservative party people who couldn't get over thinking Jewish in terms of what it meant to be family. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. They followed after him. So that even Barnabas, this must have stung. Barnabas was, was Paul's right-hand man in the mission to the Gentiles. And here, even Barnabas is separating from the Gentiles, from the adopted members of the family, was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their contact was not in step with the, with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? You can almost picture it. I can. You know, here you have this family-style potluck going on in the ancient church of Antioch, you know, in the fellowship hall. Do you remember the days when we had fellowship halls? Everybody's gathered around. Everybody gets in line after the prayer. And, and uh, you're just hoping to get a piece of that Kentucky Fried Chicken before everybody takes it. And you're hoping the only thing that isn't left is somebody's really disgusting vegetarian dish that nobody wants. Yeah, I remember that really well. And, um, and you sit down, and you can imagine Peter and, 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 and Paul and Barnabas and other Jewish people right there sitting side by side with their Gentile brothers and sisters, you know, clinking glasses and, and celebrating the fact that they're one family in the Lord now. And they're freed, and they're completely accepted and celebrating probably the Lord's Supper at the same time. When all of a sudden... You know, the needle on a record goes right across, and somebody comes up and says, Peter, some of those really conservative Jewish guys are coming down from Jerusalem, the guys who don't approve of us eating alongside Gentiles because they're uncircumcised, and that's taboo in the, Gentile, or in the Jewish way of thinking. And so what does Peter do? He's like, well, oh, out of fear, which most of the time we damage the church out of fear of what people think, he begins to, to withdraw from his Gentile family. And the other Jewish people follow along so that even Barnabas is doing the same thing, withdrawing and separating themselves from the Gentiles. And Paul, he gets up in Peter's face, gets up in his business, not because he's harsh, but because he sees the effects of what's this going to do to that family dynamic, the, the one family dynamic. 
So he confronts Peter. How can you do this to your Gentile brothers and sisters? Because it's, you're acting in a way that's contrary to the truth that we established. You said there's one gospel, and now your practice is not in step with that one true gospel. I mean, you, you, you can sense what would happen if, if, if I was a Gentile in that, 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 that setting. I'd be asking myself, wow, the, the, like the, the, the apostles are separating themselves from me. Only Paul's left. Is there something wrong with me? Is there something more that I need? Maybe we do need to go the extra step become, to become full-fledged members of the, of the family. Maybe we do need to submit to these Torah regulations. And in one moment now, they have been subjugated by the practice of these Jewish people to second-rate family members. As if they don't fully and completely belong. And I'll tell you, when a kid does that, in terms of adoption, when they feel like they don't belong and value distinctions are made between natural and, un, uh, and adopted, the ones who are, 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 are valued less will forever try to live up to, earn, and gain the attention of the parent and the approval of the parent. That's legalism. And Paul knows that this action on the part of the apostles is undermining. It's a form of implicit legalism to withdraw from family members because of pressure from another very narrow-minded, non-gospel-centered group. That's why he gets up in their face. That tells us, what that tells us is that we can believe the true gospel. That we are full and complete family members accepted by God on the basis of what Jesus did and Jesus did alone, and at the same time in our practice, draw value distinctions as they did then, which contradicts or undermines what that gospel means in terms of one family. The gospel says now there is just one family. There is no more distinction now between Jew and Gentile. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled it all for both parties, and no one can be saved apart from that. So there's one family. And what Peter and those guys should have done, they should have done what, what, what Paul did when he came into Jerusalem with, with Titus. Like, no, we're not going to yield. You want him to get circumcised? That's not going to happen because we're brothers. Jew and Gentile, we're brothers. And Peter and the other guys should have locked arms with their Gentile potluck buddies and said, no, that's not going to fly. If you're offended, that's too bad. There's one gospel and one family. And then that way they would have enhanced or would have... Um, supported in family relationships the truth of the gospel. And I'll tell you, where gospel renewal happens, um, those value distinctions, which we all too easily still make in the family of God, begin to dissolve. We, we don't struggle in the 21st century, at least not in this part of the world, maybe um, in some messianic groups over in Jerusalem or Israel, but we don't struggle with the Gentile Jew distinction any longer. That, that's pretty much been done. But we still, because we're fallen human beings, still like to make um, value distinctions along particular lines and create an us-them within the one body of Christ. And in that way, we undermine or we short-circuit the gospel itself by the way we act, not keeping in step. I think in the history of the church, one of the things that that church leaders have all too often done is paid special attention to those who were respectable and wealthy at the expense of those who were less wealthy. And what that does is it tells the less wealthy, the less respectable, the ordinary person, 
that unless I have more, I'm really not maybe a full-fledged family member or I don't belong. And in that way, we, we undermine the very gospel that says there's no more difference anymore between Jew and Greek and free and slave, um, female or male. Those value distinctions shouldn't exist anymore. When you come in the body of Christ, there is no value distinction. There shouldn't be. Or here's another one that you see a lot too, is people have their pet theologies, um, things that they kind of rally around that are what we might consider to be non-essential theologies. People huddle around and, and, uh, and have believe, for example, in particular, to believe the gifts still exist, or others say, I don't believe the gifts exist, or, um, or what do you believe about how the end is going to play out at the end times? There's different groups that rally around these different beliefs, um, how you believe will interacts with sovereignty and predestination. There are people who rally around different groups, and it's not to say that those things are unimportant. But whenever we make value distinctions based upon the group we're a part of, that makes another group feel like, well, I'm not as theologically precise or astute as that group. You create a second-class atmosphere in the body of Christ, and in so doing, you undermine the very gospel that we believe. That there is one body. And all of those things we make value distinctions on don't matter in terms of our acceptance by the Lord and our acceptance, full inclusion into the family of Christ. So that's, a, that's a, a, to me, an, a bit of an admonishment to be careful. And where, are those, where those lines are that we have said, well, you're more valuable if, if you hold to this and you're less valuable if you don't hold to this. Keeping in mind, however, that Paul was fully and compassionately ready to divide from anybody who didn't hold to the essence of the gospel. That's the dividing point. That's why he says in chapter 1, if anyone preaches you a gospel that uh, it is different than the one you received, let him be damned twice. Let him be emasculated. That's the dividing line. It's the true gospel. But within the one family, there are going to be differences. And, and not to, to create value distinctions based upon... Another big one is, is spiritual gifts. In terms of we have people who are passionate about evangelism, which is an amazing thing. Get out into the community and tell everybody about Jesus. They're gifted at it. They're passionate about it. Then there's other people who aren't quite as passionate about it. They're passionate about something different. And it's really easy for the evangelistic ones to say, well, if you're really Christian, would you be like us? And what are you doing at that moment? You're creating a value distinction based upon one's giftedness and passions. And, and that creates, it undermines the idea that, you know what saves us, brothers and sisters, and we've got to just drive it home every day, is the simple fact that we trust in Christ who completed us. He's, he's accomplished it all for us. And, and in him, we have all those things. And we're free to be who God created and redeemed us to be with our own particular varied gifts and personalities. So you see that one true gospel that's been affirmed by all of the apostles. This is the truth. And to, to be about the, the business of making sure we don't undermine that one truth with bad practice of creating those value distinctions and then making people feel like they are the adopted ones in the pejorative sense. We want people to know, like the Noons' little boys, you know, full-fledged noons boys. It's like, 
you a follower of Jesus, you trust in him alone for your salvation, and you know it's not by your works, you know what? You're God's kid. We all are. And that's, that's really the beginning, middle, and end of it, is we are God's kids, full-fledged kids of the Lord. And nothing we do should undermine that confidence that we are fully and completely his, his family. He couldn't say in any more clear words to us, you are mine, and you couldn't be more mine than you are right now because of my son. That I love you as much now as I ever have, and I will never re, uh, pull back my love because of my son. That I delight in you endlessly because of my son. You are mine. You're part of my family because of my son. And that's where we find our sense of belonging and our sense of identity and our sense of security is in the simple fact that because of the gospel, we are one family. And to live in the freedom of that one family, not because anything we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. And that is Paul's freeing, liberating message to us. Amen? Lord, I pray you make that a reality in this church family and where those things have existed that are undermining our belief in the one true good news that you are so benevolent and so gracious that you accomplished everything on, on our behalf and all you simply do is say, do you trust me? Do you trust my work in history? And I pray that you would just continue your work of renewal in this church family and, and uh, continue to draw us toward the center, towards Jesus, towards the, the good news of what he has done and everything that you have blessed us with because of him. In Christ's name, amen. Mm-hmm.